Well, good morning. Get your Bibles and open to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse 32. Uh, Our focus this morning will be verses uh, 45 through 52. We're going to pick it up. John chapter 7, verse 32. So this morning as I'm walking in to the parking lot across the back here and Coming in here, uh, our brother Mike Koval saw me with a big smile on his face and said, Kevin, do you know where you were one year ago today? I thought, well, I'm assuming I was here at church. I mean, he goes, but do you know what you were doing? And I'm like, I'm not quite sure. He goes, you were preaching. You were preaching the first sermon in our Ruth series to about five people. That was during our kind of uh, very early on, right, in the, the COVID, all right? I like to call it the COVID. So it was, uh, it was early on in that time, and we had a few people attending here, and we were broadcasting, uh, you know, online for everyone. And I preached Ruth chapter 1, and he watched, I guess, some of the sermon was saying, I was saying, Happy Mother's Day. And he said, you pointed to your wife, right? Because there's Linda and Hayden were here, and about four more people and, uh, who were pretty much running sound. And so it was a happy Mother's Day to Linda and a happy Mother's Day, I said, to Chelsea Batty, who at that time was with child, right? And so uh, happy Mother's Day. God bless you mothers as well. I know you've been told that already a number of times, but, but we are blessed here to have so many wonderful and righteous and godly mothers. And it is a, a wonderful thing to be here one year later, right? Uh, we are still here. We are still here, and God is still on the throne, and He has seen us through much, hasn't He? And He has challenged us. I mean, just try to think back about where you were and even what you were thinking. Uh, There were some things, there's things that have happened over this last year that we didn't even expect. Uh, Challenges, uh, you know, trying to shut churches down, trying to keep us from singing, trying to keep us from taking communion, things like this. And we've been able to stand firm by God's grace and continue to to honor Him and glorify Him in what He's called us to do. So it is, a, it is a privilege to be here today to preach to you one year later. Well, we're now in John chapter 7, John chapter 7, starting with verse 32. And in case you've forgotten, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. It is His holy inspired Word, true in every jot and tittle. If you follow this word, you will never stray. If you disobey this word, there is great price to pay, isn't there? So now we read God's word together. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. Jesus, now we've remember, let's remember for a minute, he's at the Feast of Booths and he's teaching. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priest And Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me? And you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. On the, last day, on the last day of the feast, the great day, 
Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David, who uh, comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this glorious day to to honor our mothers that set aside in this nation to do so. And we do honor them and we thank you for your great grace and mercy to us by giving us mothers. We pray that their day will be blessed. We pray now as we open your word and proclaim it to your people that we would be blessed by these words, by the true word of God. Lord, may we hear it. May we trust it. May we obey it. Lord, for those in the congregation right now that need to have their hearts mended, that need to offer forgiveness to others, that need to have a softening so that they may receive your word, I pray that you would do that work in their hearts even now, that they would listen well to your word and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a young man, I remember there was a commercial that used to run on television. It ran for many years, and it had to do with uh, financial investments. And many of us probably have financial investments, and so we're always looking for someone who can give us some good advice, right? And the way this commercial went was uh, one of them was uh, a man in a restaurant, He's in a fine restaurant with white linen, and, and there's waiters walking around with you know, uh, napkins over their uh, arms and serving things and giving wine and this and that, and the, and the crowd is hubbubbing and like a restaurant is and making all this noise. And this gentleman says, you know, what are you doing about your investments? I'm really wondering what I should do. And, and the guy says, well, I don't know about you, but my broker is E.F. Hutton. Okay, and some of our older, you've got to be at least my age probably to know this. E.F. Hutton. And, and, uh, and so he says, and when he says, my broker is E.F. Hutton, the whole crowd just stops and everybody freezes and the, and, and the waiter even like, lean, everyone leans in to hear what this guy says. And, and E.F. Hutton says, and everyone freezes to listen to what E.F. Hutton says. And then the commercial says, the, the narrator says, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen, right? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. 
Well, getting good financial advice is, is a good thing, and we all need it and want it. But I'm going to say, how much more? How much more do we need something beyond our materialistic device or advice, but advice for spiritual things? And so today I pray that, that like those gentlemen in that commercial, that we would quiet our souls and listen to the one who speaks. And I'm not referring to me necessarily, yes, speak as I'm speaking, but the one who speaks through me and through his word this morning, Jesus the Christ. In this passage, I see three elements, very simple outline today, the question, the answer, the insults. The question, the answer, the insults. And it's our prayer this morning that God would use this passage to draw us out and to help us to realize and understand and obey the man called Jesus Christ. So number one, the question. Look at verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Why did you not bring him? Why did you not bring him? Now, it seems to be a, a pretty simple question. On one level, the question seems reasonable enough. The ruling leaders have ordered Jesus to be brought to them. Verse 32 says they sent the officers to arrest Jesus. These are like the, the temple guard. They're like the police of the Sanhedrin. And they're there to do the bidding of the chief priest and the rulers. And so they've been sent to arrest Jesus. And now they show up empty-handed and they say, why didn't you bring him? Many of us have bosses, don't we? And our boss says, would you go and get that? Would you go and do that? And there have been times when we've come back and the guy walks in or my principal or your boss comes in and says, let me see that report. Uh, ah, <laughs> why didn't you, why didn't you, or a mother, right? Ask her son or daughter to do the dishes, right? And we come in later and find the TV still on and say, well, wait a minute. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Well, this is what the rulers say. Why didn't you bring Jesus to us? And they demand for an answer from those who are their subordinates. But I believe there's something deeper going on here. What's implied by John in the question, what's implied by the question from the Pharisees is that Jesus is an ordinary man. Jesus is just an ordinary man. He can be commanded. He can be detained. He can be pulled, pushed, or prodded. They continue to look upon Jesus through blind eyes, faithless, materialistic. They look on the outside. They don't see who he really is. You see, to the Pharisees, he's no Messiah. He's just a man. And this man is causing trouble. He must be stopped, curtailed, contained, and if that doesn't work, killed. Why did you not bring him? Why did you not bring him? Now, they speak out of faithless hearts, but I think there's something here for us as well as those who are people of faith to remember that there are times when we can want to command Jesus as well. Lord, come, do this, help me, do that. Why didn't you... Lord, why didn't you? God, why are you? We need to be reminded, even as people of faith, that Jesus 
is not the kind of man who is to be called into question. He is wholly unlike any other man, both man and God. Jesus is not, as C.S. Lewis said in one of his essays, the God in the dock. The God in the dock. And what he refers to here is the British parliamentary system where the man who is accused of a crime is put in the dock to be judged to find out if he is guilty or innocent. Jesus here is not standing trial as the accused. Jesus is not standing trial as the accused. He is the judge. It would do well for us to remember that. In John 5, 20-23, Jesus says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Oh, friend, Jesus is not on trial here. Jesus is not on trial here. The Pharisees are. The Pharisees are. Friend, Jesus is not on trial here. You are. You are. Jesus is not on trial here. I am. We all are. Jesus is the righteous judge, and he is no ordinary man. And we hear this from the answer. They give the question, why didn't you bring him? Look at verse 45 again. The officers then came to the chief priests, and they say, why did you not bring him? And then comes the answer, point two. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one talks like this. No one says the things he says. No one speaks with authority the way he speaks. No one teaches like this. No one ever spoke like this man. The officers come back empty-handed. They go to confront a man, and they're confronted by the living word. The tables are turned. The law of the land meets the lawmaker of the universe. The authority of the temple stand before the true temple, the authority of heaven and earth. And they are unable to arrest him. Why? Because they are arrested by him. They are undone. They come back. They're, and you, I, mean, I feel like kind of like Barney Fife or something. I don't know what these guys look like, but you can see them all coming, you know, shuffling in. And where is he? Where is he? Why didn't you bring him? And all they can say is, they didn't say he was strong and he threw us off. He ran away. He's really fast. He can dodge. He's got some moves. I mean, you, know, you know, there was a chase, a foot, you know. No, they say, no one ever, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. John Piper was super helpful to me this week. He writes about these claims. He gives eight of Jesus' spectacular claims. When we say no one ever spoke like this, what are some of the things that Jesus said? Here are eight examples of Jesus' spectacular claims from this gospel, the gospel of John. And we could give more, but no one ever spoke like this. Number one, he claims to be God. 
Number one, he claims to be God. He says, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does place, take place, you may believe that I am he, John 13, 9. Literally, he's saying that I am. These things are happening so you may believe that I am. And what should ring in their ears and what rings in our ears is, is what? He is, tell, he is saying, I'm telling you in the future that, that to show you that I am the incarnation of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament who identifies himself in Exodus 3.14 as I am. Tell them I am sent you. Or as he says in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. These are the claims for which they are wanting to kill him, aren't they? Claiming that he is equal with God. Claiming that he is God, that he is the I am. Number two, another claim. He claims to exist before he was born. He claims to exist before he was born. Jesus said to them in John 8, 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Not only does he claim to have existed before he was born, but that he existed as I am. He is Yahweh. He is God. Number three, in this deity, he claims to have come as a shepherd to die for his sheep. John 10, 10 through 11, the sheep comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they, who, who's the they? These sheep, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He claimed his death would be the key to the eternal life of his sheep. Number four, he claims to be the only way to God. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46. The way, the truth, the life, the light. If we don't believe on him, he says, we remain in darkness forever. He is the way. The way to walk. The source. The path to God. He is the light. He is what sheds light on our life. He gives us. He, he shows us how to see all things in the world. By Him and through Him and His Spirit can we understand the world around us and understand who God is. He is the life. There is only life in Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 35. John 4, 14. Whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We're so used to hearing these claims, aren't we, and hearing Jesus talk like this that it's not astounding to us to hear someone say, I will give you life. I am bread. I am light. I am the way. I will die so that you may live. Can you hear the astounding craziness 
of those words. Number six, he claims that we can do no thing without him. Nothing. He claims that we can do nothing without him. John 15, 1 and 5, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from Christ we can do nothing. Not a little something, not maybe a smidge, not maybe a trifle, not maybe a, I can't think of any of their small words, a micro. <laughs> no, apart from Christ we can do no thing. Nothing. Nothing. Can you imagine coming home, and who can I pick on? I'm going to pick on Jeff Lewis. <laughs> Pastor Jeff Lewis is sitting there, and in comes his beautiful wife. And, and uh, they start to have dinner, and, and Jeff turns and says, Honey, you know, you need to do this or do that, but let me, let me, let, I need to let you know something very important. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? She'd be like calling the pastors, right? <laughs> Come in, you need to counsel with him, pray with him, read those scriptures. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But Jesus makes that extraordinary claim. Apart from me, you can do no thing. You can do nothing. Number seven, he claims to be the one who raises people from the dead at the end of history. John eleven twenty five. 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 6, 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Finally, number eight, He claims to be the supreme glory that will satisfy us forever in the age to come. He says in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. And of course, these are just a few that we have and see from the Gospel of John. A few of these incredible claims. There's many, many more. And there's more in the other Gospels. And there are more throughout the epistles. Like forgiving sin, returning to earth in glory, fulfilling the whole law. But we see here from these claims that what the, what the officers said is completely true. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. With these kinds of sayings, with these kinds of remarks, we, it, 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 it would do us well to listen to what we've read here from this pulpit a number of times, and we're going to read it again. What C.S. Lewis says about this man. He says this in Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And we've heard this ourselves. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, right? Yeah, he's a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his great being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Profound and deep words from our brother, C.S. Lewis. In other words, the way Jesus spoke, the things that he said, it would be irrational for us to say he was a nice man, but not God. Nice people don't say things like that. Sane people don't claim to be God. But if it was true, then we've got some, as Ricky says, we've got some splaining to do. <laughs> Listen to another fellow from back in the day. Bono from U2. Another fellow Irishman of C.S. Lewis. In 2004, he was being interviewed. A few days after this Madrid terrorist bombing, he was interviewed by a French journalist named Mika Assayas. When the subject of religion came up as the cause of terrorism, Bono turned the conversation to Christianity and the theme of grace. Bono said this, it's not our good works that get us through the gates of heaven. And the journalist replied this, to this, Such great hope is wonderful, even though it's close to lunacy in my view. Christ has the rank among the world's greatest thinkers. But son of God, isn't that, isn't that far-fetched? Bono's answer is really quite remarkable and makes Lewis point again. Listen to what he says to, isn't the Son of God talk far-fetched? He says, no, it's not far-fetched to, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story has always gone like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. He had a lot of things to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah or Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I'm God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please don't, don't say that. Just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. eccentric. <laughs> We've had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey, and we can handle that. But don't mention the M word because you know you're gonna have to, we're going to have to crucify you. <laughs> Bono goes on, he says, no, no, he says, he's saying, Jesus says, no, no, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, but actually I am the Messiah. At this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and says, oh my God, he's going to keep saying this. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking a nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. We don't know if this rock singer is saved or not, born again. We pray that he is. But one of the things that's clear is it's possible to be persuaded by the logic of Lewis and Bono. 
and not be saved, not be born again, and have eternal life. Our call today is to not just look at Jesus and say, what a great teacher, what a great prophet, what a great leader, what a great martyr, but instead to say, no, He is Lord and Savior and God and kneel to Him and to Him alone. And that's our marching orders as, as people of faith who have, who have done that and who have trusted that and who believe this is to be in the world and to not be of it, to be working with our hands and gaining the respect of outsiders, to be living winsome and bright and shiny lives that, that draw people to us, but then tell them the truth even when it hurts. Love them so much that we'll tell them the truth and also love Jesus so much that we won't succumb to the pressure of the culture around us. Which brings us to this next section, the insults. The insults. Verses 47 through 52. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Notice how the Pharisees don't deal with the actual issue or the evidence throughout this section, but they just insult. The Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone before them, says, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And to Nicodemus they reply, What? Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The Pharisees don't interact with the officer's announcement of Christ, utterly unique speaking or his sayings, but instead they just level three insults at the officers, at the crowd, at Nicodemus. First, they accuse the officers of being deceived. The only possible explanation that they could accept is that, about Jesus is that the officers are simply wrong. Jesus is not a good man. He's a deceiver, and he sucked them into his lies. Somehow he's, he's put the whammy on them. They, they go to arrest them and they come back and say, he's speaking like this. And they say, oh, obviously, you know, you're deceived. Second, in response to some of the crowd believing Jesus, what do they say about the crowd? They are ignorant of the law. They're stupid and they're accursed. Like, uh, you're dumb. That's dumb. Okay. <laughs> they're just, just pointing at them and calling them names. They're accursed and ignorant. It can't possibly be that this man is who he says he is. And third, here when our dear Nicodemus comes, who spent, who spent a night with Jesus in John chapter 3 and later we'll find is with the Lord later and becomes a true believer, right? Jesus says, hey, wait a minute. He brings some sense into the conversation. Shouldn't we actually do what our law says then? Shouldn't we hear him out and look at the evidence? They're biased. They say, ah, oh, you're one of those Galileans too, huh? You're one of those Galileans also. You're one of those. You're one of those. You're one of those deplorables, right? You're one of those. What do they do? They try to cancel him, don't they? Cancel culture has been around for a long time. And I want to stop here for a moment to encourage you as believers 
I know I keep saying this from this pulpit, and I will keep saying this from this pulpit because I think storms are brewing on the horizon. And I want to encourage you and embolden you to continue speaking up for Jesus, knowing that when you do, you're going to get the same thing that the Pharisees level on the officers. You're deceived, you're ignorant, and you're biased. When you speak up for Jesus, when you talk about God, when you say, we shouldn't live this way, we can't do those things, I can't say those things, I can't live like that, you should be saved, you should be, you are deceived, you are ignorant, and you're biased. Bigot, yes. Thank you, brother. That may come right back at you. I will, I will, exactly. You're a bigot, right? So we name call, don't we? Or we don't, but they do. So I'm just telling you this because I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. And I'm going to give you a specific situation this week. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it's been on my heart very strongly. And I'm going to just stop for a minute and encourage you in this area. Hear me. Bruce Jenner is a he. Bruce Jenner is a he. Him. Bruce Jenner is a male who has, because he hates God, has defigured himself and changed that which God has created him to be. Far be it from us to be pressured, to be intimidated, to be frightened, to be scared, to speak the truth. Please, my beloved brothers and sisters, do not refer to Bruce Jenner as a she. Bruce Jenner is not a she. That is an affront to the living God of the universe. God has created you to be you. And no chemicals or scalpels can change your identity, your sexual identity. It is not something you choose. It is something that God chose for you. In the beginning, he created them male and female. And we've come to a place where we have embraced our autonomous thinking that I am self-ruling. I have the ability to do what God alone can do to change my sexual identity. Now, why do I say that? I say that because when you begin to be, when you continue in your courage, because I believe you are courageous, but I want to help you in this. <laughs> because I'm facing it, and you know I'm facing this at my own school. When you begin to, to refuse to succumb to those things, the world is going to say, you are deceived. Don't you know? Look at these books. Look at this article. Look at this. Look at what Oprah says. Because, you know, she's the one that knows everything. Look at what whoever says, right? You just quote whoever the latest guru is. I don't know who they are all now. I, that, that dates me with Oprah, doesn't it? <laughs> she's kind of moved on. But I want to encourage you to be ready because they will say to you, you're deceived. You're cursed, right? They will curse you. They will curse you. They will call you names. They'll say you're biased. They'll say you are, as our brother said. They'll say you're a bigot. But we must stand. We must stand, brothers and sisters. 
We must stand for this one who speaks like none other. Well, that is their response to these officers. That is their response. They're deceived. They're cursed. They're biased. But really, here's the question. John, in his classic ironic style, forces us to ask the question, who really is deceived, cursed, and biased? Is it the officers? Or is it the Pharisees? Who, who really believes reality? Who really is rethinking reality? <laughs> right? Who is into reality? We are. The officers are. They see Jesus for who he is. A man unlike any other man they've ever heard speak. And they are stunned. They are blown away. And possibly some of them could have been changed and saved. We don't know. Friends, brothers, sisters, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. And the question for us today is that simply this. When he speaks, are you listening? He has spoken. He has spoken. God has spoken through his beloved son, the living word. Jesus Christ. And if you are his sheep, you hear his voice. You hear his voice. If you have yet to hear the voice of God, if you have yet to hear the voice of our Savior, you've heard from this pulpit today the gospel. Jesus has come for you, a sinner. The very God of heaven has given his only son for you to die on the cross so that you may be saved, so that you may have life to the full, so you may have life everlasting, so that you may be born again, that you may, when you physically die, you will be raised again to live with Christ all, for all eternity. And so I, I beg of you today that you would put your hope and trust in him this day. Listen to the man who spoke like no one has ever spoken before. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. It has been and will continue to be a glorious day, we know. Lord, we thank you for every mother again. Lord, we pray that as we leave this gathering today and go about our ways, that these luncheons that are going to be held and dinners out and special times at people's houses with children and grandchildren and uncles and aunts gathering together, Lord, that you will be so honored and glorified today. Lord, we... We love your son. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. We have heard his voice, and we, and we love him. We love him, Lord, because he first loved us. He's given his life for us. He's died on the cross for us. He took your wrath upon himself. He was in the grave, and then he rose again on the third day. He's been raised for our justification. He's now with you, reigning and ruling over all this universe, and now we look forward to seeing him come face to face. We look forward to you, Lord Jesus. We say, come, Lord Jesus. For those who have yet to put their hope and trust in you, we pray that you would be kind to them today and that you would grant them repentance. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.